Section 17 of In the Midst of Life, Tales of Soldiers and Civilians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. In the Midst of Life, Tales of Soldiers and Civilians by Ambrose Bierce. Section 17, One Kind of Officer. Part 1 of the uses of civility captain ransom it is not permitted to you to know anything it is sufficient that you obey my order which permit me to repeat if you perceive any movement of troops in your front you are to open fire and if attacked hold this position as long as you can do i make myself understood sir nothing could be plainer lieutenant price this to an officer of his own battery who had ridden up in time to hear the order the general's meaning is clear is it not perfectly the lieutenant passed on to his post for a moment general cameron and the commander of the battery sat in their saddles looking at each other in silence there was no more to say apparently too much had already been said then the superior officer nodded coldly and turned his horse to ride away the artillerist saluted slowly gravely and with extreme formality one acquainted with the niceties of military etiquette would have said that by his manner he attested a sense of the rebuke that he had incurred it is one of the important uses of civility to signify resentment when the general had joined his staff and escort awaiting him at a little distance the whole cavalcade moved off toward the right of the guns and vanished in the fog captain ransom was alone silent motionless as an equestrian statue the gray fog thickening every moment closed in about him like a visible doom part two under what circumstances men do not wish to be shot the fighting of the day before had been desultory and indecisive at the points of collision the smoke of battle had hung in blue sheets among the branches of the trees till beaten into nothing by the falling rain in the softened earth the wheels of cannon and ammunition wagons cut deep ragged furrows and movements of infantry seemed impeded by the mud that clung to the soldiers feet as with soaken garments and rifles imperfectly protected by capes of overcoats they went dragging in sinuous lines hither and thither through dripping forest and flooded field mounted officers their heads protruding from rubber ponchos that glittered like black armor picked their way singly and in loose groups among the men coming and going with apparent aimlessness and commanding attention from nobody but one another here and there a dead man his clothing defiled with earth his face covered with a blanket or showing yellow and clay-like in the rain added his dispiriting influence to that of the other dismal features of the scene and augmented the general discomfort with a particular dejection 
Very repulsive these wrecks looked, not at all heroic, and nobody was accessible to the infection of their patriotic example. Dead upon the field of honor, yes, but the field of honor was so very wet. It makes a difference. The general engagement that all expected did not occur. None of the small advantages accruing, now to this side and now to that, in isolated and accidental collisions being followed up. Half-hearted attacks provoked a sullen resistance which was satisfied with mere repulse. Orders were obeyed with mechanical fidelity. No one did any more than his duty. The army is cowardly today," said General Cameron, the commander of a federal brigade, to his adjutant general. The army is cold," replied the officer addressed. And yes, it doesn't wish to be like that. He pointed to one of the dead bodies lying in a thin pool of yellow water, its face and clothing bespattered with mud from hoof and wheel. The army's weapons seemed to share its military delinquency. The rattle of rifles sounded flat and contemptible. It had no meaning, and scarcely roused to attention and expectancy the unengaged parts of the line of battle and the waiting reserves. Heard at a little distance, the reports of cannon were feeble in volume and timbre. They lacked sting and resonance. The guns seemed to be fired with light charges, unshotted. And so the futile day wore on to its dreary close, and then to a night of discomfort succeeded a day of apprehension. An army has a personality. Beneath the individual thoughts and emotions of its component parts, it thinks and feels as a unit. And in this large, inclusive sense of things, lies a wiser wisdom than the mere sum of all that it knows. On that dismal morning this great brute force, groping at the bottom of a white ocean of fog, among trees that seemed as seaweeds, had a dumb consciousness that all was not well, that a day's maneuvering had resulted in a faulty disposition of its parts, a blind diffusion of its strength. The men felt insecure, and talked among themselves of such tactical errors as with their meager military vocabulary they were able to name. Field and line officers gathered in groups, and spoke more learnedly of what they apprehended with no greater clearness. Commanders of brigades and divisions looked anxiously to their connections on the right and on the left sent staff officers on errands of inquiry, and pushed skirmish lines silently and cautiously forward into the dubious region between the known and the unknown. At some points on the line, the troops, apparently of their own volition, constructed such defenses as they could without the silent spade and the noisy axe. One of these points was held by Captain Ransom's battery of six guns. Provided always with entrenching tools, his men had labored with diligence during the night, and now his guns thrust their black muzzles through the embrasures of a really formidable earthwork. 
it crowned a slight acclivity devoid of undergrowth and providing an unobstructed fire that would sweep the ground for an unknown distance in front the position could hardly have been better chosen it had this peculiarity which captain ransom who was greatly addicted to the use of the compass had not failed to observe it faced northward whereas he knew that the general line of the army must face eastward in fact that part of the line was refused that is to say bent backward away from the enemy this implied that captain ransom's battery was somewhere near the left flank of the army for an army in line of battle retires its flanks if the nature of the ground will permit they being its vulnerable points actually captain ransom appeared to hold the extreme left of the line no troops being visible in that direction beyond his own immediately in rear of his guns occurred that conversation between him and his brigade commander the concluding and more picturesque part of which is reported above part three how to play the cannon without notes captain ransom sat motionless and silent on horseback a few yards away his men were standing at their guns somewhere everywhere within a few miles were a hundred thousand men friends and enemies yet he was alone the mist had isolated him as completely as if he had been in the heart of a desert his world was a few square yards of wet and trampled earth about the feet of his horse his comrades in that ghostly domain were invisible and inaudible these were conditions favorable to thought and he was thinking of the nature of his thoughts his clear-cut handsome features yielded no attesting sign his face was as inscrutable as that of the sphinx why should it have made a record which there was none to observe at the sound of a footstep he merely turned his eyes in the direction whence it came one of his sergeants looking a giant in stature in the false perspective of the fog approached and when clearly defined and reduced to his true dimensions by propinquity saluted and stood at attention well morris said the officer returning his subordinate salute lieutenant price directed me to tell you sir that most of the infantry has been withdrawn we have not sufficient support yes i know i am to say that some of our men have been out over the works a hundred yards and report that our front is not picketed yes they were so far forward that they heard the enemy yes they heard the rattle of the wheels of artillery and the commands of officers yes the enemy is moving toward our works captain ransom who had been facing to the rear of his line toward the point where the brigade commander and his cavalcade had been swallowed up by the fog reined his horse about and faced the other way then he sat motionless as before who are the men who made that statement he inquired without looking at the sergeant his eyes were directed straight into the fog over the head of his horse 
Corporal Hossman and Gunner Manning. Captain Ransom was a moment silent. A slight pallor came into his face, a slight compression affected the lines of his lips, but it would have required a closer observer than Sergeant Morris to note the change. There was none in the voice. Sergeant, present my compliments to Lieutenant Price, and direct him to open fire with all the guns. Grape. The sergeant saluted and vanished in the fog. Part four. To introduce General Masterson. Searching for his division commander, General Cameron and his escort had followed the line of battle for nearly a mile to the right of Ransom's battery, and there learned that the division commander had gone in search of the corps commander. It seemed that everybody was looking for his immediate superior, an ominous circumstance. It meant that nobody was quite at ease. So General Cameron rode on for another half-mile, where, by good luck, he met General Masterson, the division commander, returning. "'Ah, Cameron,' said the higher officer, reining up and throwing his right leg across the pommel of his saddle in a most unmilitary way. "'Anything up? Found a good position for your battery, I hope, if one place is better than another in a fog.' "'Yes, General,' said the other, with the greater dignity appropriate to his less exalted rank. "'My battery is very well placed. I wish I could say that it is as well commanded.' "'Ah? What's that? Ransom? I think him a fine fellow. In the army we should be proud of him.' It was customary for officers of the regular army to speak of it as the army as the greatest cities are most provincial, so the self-complacency of aristocracies is most frankly plebeian. He is too fond of his opinion. By the way, in order to occupy the hill that he holds, I had to extend my line dangerously. The hill is on my left, that is to say, the left flank of the army. Oh, no! Hart's brigade is beyond. It was ordered up from Dryton during the night and directed to hook on to you. Better go and— The sentence was unfinished. A lively cannonade had broken out on the left, and both officers, followed by their retinues of aides and orderlies, making a great jingle and clank, rode rapidly toward the spot. But they were soon impeded, for they were compelled by the fog to keep within sight of the line of battle, behind which were swarms of men, all in motion, across their way. Everywhere the line was assuming a sharper and harder definition, as the men sprang to arms and the officers, with drawn swords, dressed the ranks. Color-bearers unfurled the flags, buglers blew the assembly, hospital attendants appeared with stretchers. Field officers mounted and sent their impedimenta to the rear in care of negro servants. Back in the ghostly spaces of the forest could be heard the rustle and murmur of the reserves, pulling themselves together. Nor was all this preparation vain, 
for scarcely five minutes had passed since Captain Ransom's guns had broken the truce of doubt before the whole region was a roar. The enemy had attacked nearly everywhere. Part five: How Sounds Can Fight Shadows Captain Ransom walked up and down behind his guns, which were firing rapidly but with steadiness. The gunners worked alertly, but without haste or apparent excitement. There was really no reason for excitement. It is not much to point a cannon into a fog and fire it. Anybody can do as much as that. The men smiled at their noisy work, performing it with a lessening alacrity. They cast curious regards upon their captain, who had now mounted the banquet of the fortification and was looking across the parapet as if observing the effect of his fire. But the only visible effect was the substitution of wide, low-lying sheets of smoke for their bulk of fog. Suddenly, out of the obscurity, burst a great sound of cheering, which filled the intervals between the reports of the guns with startling distinctness. To the few with leisure and opportunity to observe, the sound was inexpressibly strange, so loud, so near, so menacing, yet nothing seen. The men who had smiled at their work smiled no more, but performed it with a serious and feverish activity. From his station at the parapet, Captain Ransom now saw a great multitude of dim gray figures taking shape in the mist below him and swarming up the slope. But the work of the guns was now fast and furious. They swept the populous declivity with gusts of grape and canister, the whirring of which could be heard through the thunder of the explosions. In this awful tempest of iron, the assailants struggled forward foot by foot across their dead, firing into the embrasures, reloading, firing again, and at last falling in their turn, a little in advance of those who had fallen before. Soon the smoke was dense enough to cover all. It settled down upon the attack, and, drifting back, involved the defense. The gunners could hardly see to serve their pieces, and when occasional figures of the enemy appeared upon the parapet, having had the good luck to get near enough to it, between two embrasures, to be protected from the guns, they looked so unsubstantial that it seemed hardly worth while for the few infantrymen to go to work upon them with the bayonet and tumble them back into the ditch. As the commander of a battery in action can find something better to do than cracking individual skulls, Captain Ransom had retired from the parapet to his proper post in rear of his guns, where he stood with folded arms, his bugler beside him. Here, during the hottest of the fight, he was approached by Lieutenant Price, who had just sabred a daring assailant inside the work. A spirited colloquy ensued between the two officers, spirited at least on the part of the lieutenant, who gesticulated with energy and shouted again and again into his commander's ear in the attempt to make himself heard above the infernal din of the guns. 
his gestures if coolly noted by an actor would have been pronounced to be those of protestation one would have said that he was opposed to the proceedings did he wish to surrender captain ransom listened without a change of countenance or attitude and when the other man had finished his harangue looked at him coldly in the eyes and during a seasonable abatement of the uproar said lieutenant price it is not permitted to you to know anything it is sufficient that you obey my orders the lieutenant went to his post and the parapet being now apparently clear captain ransom returned to it to have a look over as he mounted the banquette a man sprang upon the crest waving a great brilliant flag the captain drew a pistol from his belt and shot him dead the body pitching forward hung over the inner edge of the embankment the arms straight downward both hands still grasping the flag the man's few followers turned and fled down the slope looking over the parapet the captain saw no living thing he observed also that no bullets were coming into the work he made a sign to the bugler who sounded the command to cease firing at all other points the action had already ended with a repulse of the confederate attack with the cessation of this cannonade the silence was absolute part six why being affronted by a it is not best to affront b general masterson rode into the redoubt the men gathered in groups were talking loudly and gesticulating they pointed at the dead running from one body to another they neglected their foul and heated guns and forgot to resume their outer clothing they ran to the parapet and looked over some of them leaping down into the ditch a score were gathered about a flag rigidly held by a dead man well my men said the general cheerily you have had a pretty fight of it they stared nobody replied the presence of the great man seemed to embarrass and alarm getting no response to his pleasant condescension the easy-mannered officer whistled a bar or two of a popular air and riding forward to the parapet looked over at the dead in an instant he had whirled his horse about and was spurring along in rear of the guns his eyes everywhere at once an officer sat on the trail of one of the guns smoking a cigar as the general dashed up he rose and tranquilly saluted captain ransom the words fell sharp and harsh like the clash of steel blades you have been fighting our own men our own men sir do you hear hearts brigade general i know that you know it you know that and you sit here smoking oh damn it hamilton i'm losing my temper this to his provost-marshal sir captain ransom be good enough to say to, to say why you fought our own men that i am unable to say in my orders that information was withheld 
apparently the general did not comprehend who was the aggressor in this affair you or general hart he asked i was and could you not have known could you not see sir that you were attacking our own men the reply was astounding i knew that general it appeared to be none of my business then breaking the dead silence that followed his answer he said i must refer you to general cameron general cameron is dead sir as dead as he can be as dead as any man in this army he lies back yonder under a tree do you mean to say that he had anything to do with this horrible business captain ransom did not reply observing the altercation his men had gathered about to watch the outcome they were greatly excited the fog which had been partly dissipated by the firing had again closed in so darkly about them that they drew more closely together till the judge on horseback and the accused standing calmly before him had but a narrow space free from intrusion it was the most informal of courts-martial but all felt that the formal one to follow would but affirm its judgment it had no jurisdiction but it had the significance of prophecy captain ransom the general cried impetuously but with something in his voice that was almost entreaty if you can say anything to put a better light upon your incomprehensible conduct i beg you will do so having recovered his temper this generous soldier sought for something to justify his naturally sympathetic attitude toward a brave man in the imminence of a dishonorable death where is lieutenant price the captain said that officer stood forward his dark saturnine face looking somewhat forbidding under a bloody handkerchief bound about his brow he understood the summons and needed no invitation to speak he did not look at the captain but addressed the general during the engagement i discovered the state of affairs and apprised the commander of the battery i ventured to urge that the firing cease i was insulted and ordered to my post do you know anything of the orders under which i was acting asked the captain of any orders under which the commander of the battery was acting the lieutenant continued still addressing the general i know nothing captain ransom felt his world sink away from his feet in those cruel words he heard the murmur of the centuries breaking upon the shore of eternity he heard the voice of doom it said in cold mechanical and measured tones ready aim fire and he felt the bullets tear his heart to shreds he heard the sound of the earth upon his coffin and if the good god was so merciful the song of a bird above his forgotten grave quietly detaching his sabre from its supports he handed it up to the provost-marshal. End of section 17